You are about to listen to Rosh Hashanah, Issues of the Day, Part 1 of The Lost Art of Teshuvah. All of the Shmuzin, as well as many series that deal with real-life issues, are available on theshmooz.com or on the Shmooz app, available for iPhone or Android. That's www.theshmuz.com or by phone at Kol HaLashon, 718-906-6461. Chazal tell us that the Malachi Asharis looked down upon the Kalei Yisrael on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, and they have a question. They turn into a Kaddish Baruch Hu with a question, There's something missing from the davening. There's no hollow. Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Tov. Yom Kippur is a Yom Tov. Why isn't there halal? And that's a question that the Malachi Asharis, the highest level of Malachim, asked the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And Hashem answers them, Efshir, is it possible, Melech Yoshev Akisei Din, is it possible that the king is going to sit on the seat of judgment, the Sifrei Chaim, the Sifrei Mesim, Pesuchim Lefanov, the books of life, the books of death are open. The Yom Rushira, they're going to sing, they're going to praise. It's inappropriate, it's improper. And that's a Chazal. And I think if you think about this Chazal, it should be a bit perplexing. Why? Because I am a mortal human being. Flesh and blood, rather quizzical, sometimes very, very motivated, sometimes not sometimes very clear-headed, sometimes not, sometimes generous, sometimes selfish, sometimes angry, sometimes calm. But I am a human being cloaked in a heavy, heavy cloak of physicality. And because of that, I don't see things clearly. And because of that, I could walk into Rosh Hashanah and say, and be bored. But the reason is because I'm living inside a body that's so thick, that's so corporeal, that blocks off my sight, and I don't realize that I'm standing in front of Hashem and being judged. But the people asking this question weren't people. These malachim, malachi ashores. And the question that they ask seems to be very difficult to understand. It's a klutzkasha. What do you mean? The klutzkasha should sing shira, hallow? Don't you understand? Sifrei Movis, Sifrei Chaim are open. How is it possible for the Malachim to ask such a question? And what was the question? It sounds like it's a very difficult Havamina to understand. And why not Kaddish Baruch have to answer it? And I'd like to see if we could understand what in fact the Malachim were asking and what in fact their question was. And to do that, I think we have to focus on what I call the issues of the day. What are the issues of Rosh Hashanah? So if you'd like to understand in very simple terms, every human being, every issue of humanity, every issue affecting the entire cosmos, from the smallest to the largest, is judged, weighed, measured, and decided on Rosh Hashanah. Which countries go to war, which countries will suffer famine, which countries will enjoy tremendous prosperity. Which new technologies will be brought to the marketplace? Which new illnesses will suddenly appear? Which new cures will be discovered? Which economies will suddenly boom? Which Asian markets will suddenly tank? But all of the issues of all of humanity's coming year, all of the cosmos coming year, are weighed, measured, and decided and it's a very, very heady <clears throat> din. As an eye glimpse, if you'd like to understand a little bit what happens on Rosh Hashanah, <clears throat> all you have to know is that the front page of the New York Times, the headlines of the New York Times, is written on Rosh Hashanah. But you see, it's not just the headline of that day. The headline of the next week, <clears throat> the next month, the entire year's headlines are written on Rosh Hashanah. But it's not just the headlines. It's the op-ed page, it's the international, it's the business, it's the global scene. Hashem sits there as the, if you could say, the master, chess master, 
on the multi-tiered board, putting this pawn into position, moving this bishop where it should be. But I want you to understand what is really going on. Ten years ago, the New York Times bragged about having 265 full-time correspondents, 40 photographers, 16 news bureaus. A chumish has less than 500,000 words in it. The New York Times, a Sunday edition, has over 2 million words in it. If you try to read it out loud, cover to cover, it would take you 20 hours. Why? Because on this globe occupied by some 7 billion people, there are a lot of issues going on, a lot of things that are interrelated and intertwined. And if you imagine that a Kodesh Baruch Hu sits there from way above, judges each person's fate, each city, each kingdom, each situation, and deems what is appropriate and what should be, you begin to get a little bit of an eye glimpse as to the majesty of the moment. And it's a day when many, many things are reviewed. And if you think about just this past year, and you think about all of the issues, by the way, when they try to write an almanac about a year in our world, it's a minimum of a thousand pages. But that's hyper-abbreviated because there are so many issues going on. And if you think about the fact that Hashem sits there and weighs, measures, and determines exactly what it will be, and if you think about kol ba'eolam, every human being passing in front of Kaddish Baruch Hu separately, not together, not as a group, each human judged by himself on his own, who is he, what is his merits, what are the opposite, who is he related to, who will he affect, who can he affect, who will he not be allowed to? And if you think about the magnitude, the immensity of the issues being determined, it's mind-boggling. It's so far beyond human comprehension that it literally will baffle the human mind. The Bali Musa give us an interesting illustration, though. You see, if you read carefully the words of Nisana Tokif, they're very, very descriptive. Descriptive. Rosh Hashanah Yechasevun, Yom Tzom Kippur Yechasemun, Kamayavrun Vekamayabareun. It's written and it's sealed how many will be born and how many will pass. Miyichia Umiyamus. But the Kochvior makes an observation. Do you follow the sequence here? Number one, how many will be born, how many will leave this earth? In the United States of America, approximately 2.5 million people die every year. 600,000 by cancer, approximately 500,000 by cardiac arrest, and you could go down the various illnesses. But you see, that's not the way Hashem does it. It's not approximately 2.5 million. It's an exact number. So many human beings will leave this world, so many with this disease, down to the precision number. But first there's a number... And then, then who will fill in those slots? Who will be in this category? Who will be in that category? But first, the global issue is decided. The future of the world, how many will leave this earth? Then it's you, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you. Which slot will you fit into? And by all rights, we should have an amazing sense about the day called Rosh Hashanah. You see, while it's true that we are avadim to Hashem, we're also bonim. And if you'd like to understand our unique relationship to Hashem in a very real way, we are fans of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem is our God. We're His people. And it's more than that we're rooting for Hashem, but there's a certain joy, a certain happiness that a Jew should experience on Rosh Hashanah that he can't experience the rest of the year. Do you know why? Because Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur are vastly different days. You see, during the course of the year, Hashem, if it could be, hides. But the Mishabur is very clear. The reason why we say HaMelech HaKadosh and not HaKela Kadosh during these 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur <coughs> explains the Mishabur why. Because during that time period, Hashem is Mara Mem Shalto. Hashem shows His dominion. And in He, with all of His glory, with all of His rulership. 
You see, during the course of the year, it's very difficult to us to feel that. During the course of the year, it's very hard to dominate Hashem. We try to imagine, we try to envision Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Rosh different days. The Peleoids gives an example. He says, imagine your eyes are closed and someone comes with a candle. You can't see the flame because your eyelids are blocking, but you're aware of the light. That is the Metzius of Hashem's presence during Aserah Shemitshuva. Why do we say HaMelech HaKadosh? Because we refer to Hashem in the way that Hashem manifests Himself in the world. And if you refer to Hashem as Akel HaKadosh during those ten days, you're not Yotze. Why? Because you missed the mark. Hashem is not acting merely as the Kel, as the God of the world. Hashem is acting as the King. You could experience it, you could feel it. And if you refer to Hashem as a Kelakadosh during those ten days, you miss the mark. That's not the way Hashem is manifesting Himself, not the way Hashem is showing Himself. And what you could experience during those ten days is vastly different than what you'll experience the rest of the year. You could feel Hashem's presence. You could be aware of Hashem being there. And one of the things that you should be doing on Rosh Hashanah is stepping back. Stepping back and looking at this vastness called the world. And understanding that that mass of humanity that's pressing forth in midday on Fifth Avenue is guided, directed by Akadosh Baruch Hu. From China to Japan, <coughs> India to Bulgaria, throughout the world, Hashem is there. And on Rosh Hashanah, I could step back and understand that Hashem sits on the Kisei Hadin and Hashem judges humanity. And that should bring me to a very powerful sense of joy. Because as a, excuse my expression, as a fan of Hashem, as a loving son, hopefully, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I feel joy because finally Hashem is showing Himself to be the Melech. Instead of hiding behind the veil of physicality, instead of hiding behind all the nonsense. And every time some atheist opens his mouth about, huh, one lucky roll of the cosmic dice, the hair on the back of your head should be bristling with anger. How dare you insult my creator? How dare you insult the creator of the heavens and the earth, our God? But during the course of the year, they can't experience it. We can't, maybe. But a Sarah Tshuva is very different. A Sarah Tshuva, you could feel it, you could experience it, and you could enjoy a proximity to Hashem that's untouchable during the rest of the year. And that should bring a person to tremendous joy. I could relate to Hashem, I could feel Hashem's presence, I could understand things that I can't understand during the course of the busyness, the static of the year. On Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, on Yasser Shemitshuva, it's almost like there's a stop, and I can look at the world with different eyes, I can appreciate things differently, I can experience Hashem. Rav David Kronglas, the Mashkiach, Tzal of Ner Israel, used to say, on Yom Kippur, if it weren't for the Amos Adin, I'd be dancing a Rikud. I'd be in the aisle dancing. Because what you could experience on Yom Kippur, what you could feel on Rosh Hashanah, is Hashem right there. And you can understand things, and it brings you a sense of joy, of happiness. And by all rights, we should sing out Shira, Hallel, the Tishbachos, out of tremendous joy. And I believe that's exactly what the Malachi Asharits were asking. Why is Hallel not part of the Tefillah? Do you understand what the clients are accomplishing? Do you understand what they're able to access now? Do you understand what they're able to reach? How's it shaykh that they're not singing out sheer shebech vodah to their creator? It should be part of the davening. And I believe that's what the Malachi Asharis were asking. Not a foolish question, quite the opposite, a very profound question. And yet, Karish Baruch answered them. What is Hashem's answer? <clears throat> I believe that Hashem's answer is, you're correct. There should be a profound sense of joy, of happiness, tempered with the reality. You see, it's very wonderful to look at the world and realize every human being is judged. <clears throat> every country, every civilization, every business, every technology. But there's also a part of the cheshbon. Every man is judged and I too am a man. And my fate is in abeyance. My fate is being weighed. Myself, 
my family, my community, my nation. And there's a global sense of, wow, this is astonishing. But on a personal level, it's very, very frightening. But I believe that both emotions should be there. When you walk into Shul and Rosh Hashanah, there should be a jubilation, a joy, a happiness, tempered with a tremendous sense of the gravity of the moment. The Amos Adin. The Amos Adin that my future is being decided, the future of my wife, my children, my shul, my community, the future of humankind. But both emotions should be there. Tremendous joy, tremendous happiness, tempered with a sense of the gravity of the situation. So, with that as a backdrop, I'd like to ask the following question. The Nevi'im tell us, Chazal tell us, Rishonim, Balimusar, over and over and over, and every Jew fully accepts it. There's a powerful feature, a powerful force we have called Tefillah. And we're told so many times that Hashem waits for our davening, <clears throat> Hashem waits for our requests. We're told the power, the effect, the impact, how it could change worlds, how it could change my future. So here's the question. If I understand what's happening on Rosh Hashanah, I understand Aser Shimei Tshuva are the days of decision. If I get it, wouldn't you imagine that I'd be in shul on Rosh Hashanah, tears running down my cheek, imploring, begging, beseeching, Hashem, please, there are so many things I need, health, well-being, parnas of my children, there are thousands of things that are going to happen to me in the coming year. Wouldn't you imagine we'd all be in shul, shaking for hours, begging, 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 unending? And while it's true that Rosh Hashanah davening is very different than davening during the rest of the year, somehow the hours-long tefillah directly speaking to my Creator, begging with tears running down my cheek, isn't quite the description of many people's davening. And here's the question. What's pshat? I get it. Hashem runs the world. I understand. Hashem determines my future. Hashem determines how much money I'll make, how much success I'll have, my health, my success, everything. I get it. And I know that tefillah is very powerful. I know that tefillah works. So how is it possible? How is it shy that I sit there? Oh my goodness. I hope this chazan doesn't slip on too long. Oh my. Oh my, I hope my mother made hopes because I really am hungry. This is really. And if you think the question is a small question, it's not. So I'd like to share with you why it's very difficult for us in our generation, particularly to daven. There are really two reasons. <clears throat> there are two reasons why it's very, very difficult for us to daven Rosh Hashanah. One has to do with our generation in particular. And that is the fact that probably never in the course of history has there been this much abundance, this much wealth, this much opulence. If you take kings of yesteryear, take the king of England, the king of France, take the wealthiest individuals you could ever imagine, they do not enjoy the typical luxuries of an average tax-paying citizen in our society. The kings of yesteryear did not live in palaces and mansions that you and I do. Obviously, they didn't have running water and heat. But their clothing was coarse. The food that they ate was nowhere near as fair as ours. The average person in our world has such wealth, such extraordinary opulence, that it's historically unprecedented. And that is a tremendous bracha. However, it also comes with a little bit of a cost. I have a friend of mine whose father was a Rav in New York City in the Depression era. And his father described to him that every Rosh Chodesh benching, from the Mechitza, from the other side of the women's section, he would hear women openly break down and cry. <clears throat> when they got to the part, <clears throat> time of Parnassah, when they got to those words, Parnassah, you would hear weeping, women crying openly. Why? Because in those days, if you didn't pay the monthly rent, the landlord had you evicted. That means your property, whatever it was, a couch and some trunks, was put on the sidewalk, and that's where you and your children slept that night. And there were no social networks to bail you out. There were no 
tzedakah organizations. And when you're living in abject poverty, and you don't know how you're going to pay that bill, and you don't know literally how you're going to put bread on the table, and you stand in front of your Creator and you say the words, Hashem, I can't do it. Hashem, I depend on you. I rely on you. I can't do it. Hashem, please help. And while Ashiris is a tremendous bracha, one of the costs of it is that we don't want. We don't lack. And it's very difficult for us to stand in front of Hashem and say, Hashem, I'm needy. And Hashem, I need. I don't need much. Baruch Hashem. Our biggest problem is juggling our credit card bills. Maybe, how am I going to do the car payments? But being hungry isn't part of our vernacular. Shlomo Zaman Arbach was in, the, uh, in the, one of the early wars in Eretz Yisrael, and the bombs were flying and hitting buildings all over Yerushalayim. And he was there with some of his Talmidim, and everyone was filled with fear. Shlomo Zaman was calm as a cucumber. And finally someone said to him, Shiva, what's Shiva? How's it Shiva that you sit there with such equanimity? And he said, you don't understand. I was brought up, I lived in Yerushalayim in the 1920s. I didn't know what it meant to go to bed not hungry. When you live with suffering, you're not so easily rattled. My friends, I don't know a human being my age or younger who ever went to bed hungry. Not because, oh, mom, meat loaf again, but because there was no food. We have such abundance, such plenty, that for us to stand in front of Hashem and say, Hashem, I can't make it, I can't do it, is very difficult. Because Baruch Hashem, we have tremendous wealth. And that is the first reason why it's very difficult for us to daven, because it's hard for us to understand that we really lack, and we really need, and therefore it's hard for us to really stand in front of Hashem and say the words, I am dependent upon you. You are my creator, I am your creation. And this first problem is not so difficult to solve. Why? I'll share with you what I consider is a simple solution to this problem. The Granat, the Tully Trop, was once approached by a Balabas. This is in Europe, pre-World War II. And his Balabas said, Rosh Shiva, how could we say these words? And Slichus, I just said the words, Kedolim, Ucharoshim, Dafakne, Dalasecha, Hashem, I bang on your door as a poor and promised man. Rosh Shiva, how could I say those words? I'm a rich industrialist. I have 500 men in my employ. How could I lie? How could I say to Hashem, I'm poor? I'm rich. So you get what the words really mean. <clears throat> but the Granat turned to this Balabas and said, you're making one mistake. You're assuming that because last Rosh Hashanah, you had a Gzar Din of keeping your wealth, you assume that that's the same decree you're going to get this year. But if you realize that that's an open question, <clears throat> if you realize that that question, whether you keep your wealth or don't, is a question that's being decided, and if you realize that there are no chazakas, no status quo, no guarantees, <clears throat> you would realize you are a dal and a rash, you're a poor man, because you don't know. You're sitting there, and your future is an open question. There are no chazakas, no guarantees. And I believe this principle is an operating principle for every issue of our life. Me? I don't have to worry about sickness. I'm a young, healthy guy. Come on. I'm healthy. I'm strong. Rufa'inu is not for me. And then you read about young, healthy, strong guys who take a dive and uh, into the water and hit their head against a rock and the spinal cord snaps and he's paralyzed. You hear about lone microbes invading a young, healthy person and Sloan Kettering is the next address that he's at. And you find out that many young, healthy people have things happen to them that you and I would never have expected. But here's the point. There are no guarantees. That's Wall Street. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. And just because you were young and healthy last year, and just because you had a decree of vitality and vibrance, doesn't mean that's the same decree you'll have this year. And one of the things that a Jew needs to think about is the fact that many, many things happen to a person. Your father could have a great job, and the entire industry is sent over to Pakistan, to India, to China. 
come on, my dad's a cardiologist. Come on, he's got a great practice. And then you find out that uh, the HMOs ain't paying what they used to, and the um, <clears throat> malpractice kind of doubled. So he had to sell his practice to the hospital, and that, not only is he now an employee, but he's making one-third of what he used to be making. And if you study this thing called the human condition, you'll quickly see things change. Many things change. And if you realize that there are no chazakas, because I had something last year, doesn't mean I will have it this year, is one of the key concepts that a Jew has to think about. Gentlemen, if you would like to have a meaningful Rosh Hashanah, I have a little Musr exercise for you. Find the obituary section of the newspaper. Now, I used to have to explain to guys what the obituary section is. Now I find I have to explain to people what a newspaper is. But if you find the obituary section of a newspaper, you'll find a lot, a lot of people in it. And you'll find not much in common. Oh, there are older people, but there are younger people. Healthy people and not so healthy people. Tall people and short people. Fat people and skinny people. Clever people and dumb people. You'll only find one Sarashava. If you study every obituary of every newspaper in the world, there's only one common denominator that all of those people have. They were once alive and they are no longer. But other than that, there's nothing that they all have in common. It's true that more often older people die, but just check it out and you'll find it's not always true. And the key understanding that a person has to reach, hopefully at a young age, is I too am a human. And it's either this year or next year or the year after that or the year after that, but it will come. It definitely, absolutely, bivadoyas will come. There will be a time when I will no longer be me, me, me. Come on, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'll, I'll live forever. Isn't that a given? Isn't that part of my reality? That's how we operate. But it's Shekhar Vakazev. I will not live forever. It's either this year or next year, the year after, the year after that, but it's going to happen. And I, as every other human who walked this planet before me, will leave this earth and stand in front of Hashem and answer for what I accomplished and for what I didn't. And if you look at the pictures of the people and you find the commonality between you and them, you'll quickly understand exactly what the Granat is saying, that because this whole year, every single day, I opened my eyes and woke up. And it's not just this whole year, my entire life. Every single morning, every single day of my life, I open my eyes and I'm awake. And there is no guarantee that it's going to continue. But more than that, there is a guarantee. Eventually it's going to stop. And this understanding that all of the issues of my life, my health, my success, my well-being, obviously basic issues like financial issues, and if you're going out, whether you'll find the right person in the right time or not, the type of chavrusas you have or you won't have, the success you'll have in being in the right year or not, all the issues of your life are being weighed, measured, and decided. And just because last year you got a din of success and health doesn't mean you'll have it this year. Every issue of your life is an open question, and there are no status quos and no chazakas. So if you tell me that it's difficult to daven because we don't lack, we don't want, I think the Granat's answer is more than adequate to answer that. If we understood that every issue is open and being decided, we'll quickly understand we lack a lot. And we'll be able to turn to Hashem and say, Hashem, please help. So the first reason why it's difficult to daven, that it's difficult to know that we lack, isn't that hard to, to deal with. It's a second problem that's a lot thornier and a lot more difficult. The second reason why it's very difficult for us to daven on Rosh Hashanah is because the din on Rosh Hashanah is vastly different than any judgment that you and I will experience in this world. Let me explain to you what I mean. It was quite a number of years ago, but O.J. Simpson was on trial for murdering his wife. For you guys now, that may be ancient history, but for me and some of the Rebbeim here also, not to date ourselves, but it was... Part of, our, part of our reality. Now you have to appreciate what was going on here. O.J. Simpson, Nicole Simpson was found dead. O.J. Simpson running from the scene of the crime, the bloodstained gloves, the cash, the mask, 
He's fleeing on the highway. It was so evident, it was so obvious that he murdered his wife that there was nothing even to debate. Of course, because he was a wealthy celebrity, he hired the Dream Team, including our own Alan Dershowitz, and the U.S. judicial system was on trial. Could money buy a travesty of justice? And really, that was the issue. Could he buy his freedom? Now, you have to appreciate that this was a major big deal. And it happens to be that right around Rosh Hashanah time was when the verdict was being read. And I said to myself, I have to see this moment. And I parked myself in front of the TV to watch this moment. And you have to appreciate the solemnity of it. He's gripping the bench. Whether he's going to be a caged animal for the rest of his life or he's going to walk free is now going to be read to him. And the jury foreman stands up. She opens the envelope and she reads the words, we find the defendant not guilty. Whoa! Joy, elation. The man's face lit up. That's judgment in our world. Fact-finding, deliberation, and then the verdict is read. And when the verdict is read, the jury knows the verdict, and everyone in the courtroom knows the verdict, and the defendant knows the verdict. In a few weeks' time, you and I will be standing in judgment. There will be fact-finding, there will be deliberation, and there will be a verdict. But the difficulty is, we don't hear the reading of the verdict. We don't know. We walk out of shul and roshana, we say the words, roshana tova, tikasev, tikasev, we dip the apple in the honey, and we're celebrity, we're happy, we're joyful. And by the way, that's the halacha. We don't wear begodim as nice as we do during a normal yomtiv, but you're supposed to wear yomtiv clothing, batuach and the din, trusting in Hashem's mercy. But here's the point. When you walk out of shul on Rosh Hashanah, your future, your family's future, your brother, your sister, your mother, your family, your cousin, everyone in your community's future has been weighed or decided. And if not right then, sometime during that day, but you and I don't hear the verdict. The facts are gathered, it's deliberated, it's decided, but we don't hear. And it's very, very difficult to feel the din as real if you don't hear the reading of the verdict. Let me give you an interesting mushal. The Stiplagon, when he was about his mid-80s, was largely deaf, and certainly he was a tremendous master, and almost all the time he spent in learning and his head was down. By the time he was in his mid-80s, the Kleistral knew him as the Stipe Lagone, and his apartment was filled for hours. People would come with questions, <clears throat> asking brachas, and they would pass by <clears throat> for hours. And it was rare for the Stipe ever to look up. If people would give him a name, <clears throat> he would say a few cryptic words. He would give a bracha, he'd answer things that was clearly <clears throat> Baruch HaKodesh, but he almost never looked up. One afternoon, it's a crowded apartment, Stipe is looking down, a man walks into the apartment, and a stipler looks up. And a stipler points, Russia! Wicked one! Get out! Get out! He screams in the air, get out! The man who walked in turned white, <clears throat> turned red, turned on his heels, and ran out the door. A few hours later, <clears throat> another person comes into the stipler and says, I'm sure that Shiva. I just wanted to share with the stipler that, <clears throat> that person that the stipler called the Russia can't be such a Russia. No sooner did he leave the Stipler's apartment than he got into a car. That car got into an accident. Every other person in the car was killed. That person at home was saved. Vice versa, he's not such a Russia. The Stipler turned to this man and said, don't you understand? When he walked in, the Malach HaMovis walked in with him. The only way I could save him, embarrassing a person publicly as if he killed him, it was the only way I could save him. Once upon a time, there were people like the Stipler who could see the Malachal Mavis walk in with a person. But you and I don't. We walk out of shul, we're happy, we take that apple, dip it in the honey, and we're jolly and merry about our ways. But here's the observation that I want you to think about. If you dominate in a shul that has a few hundred people, I guarantee there will be many, many beautiful decrees that are signed on this Rosh Hashanah. A man who couldn't earn a living for years suddenly gets a job, future changes. An older single who couldn't find her Beshert somehow 
Nitzan, this is the year for her to get married. A couple who couldn't have children for years had a decree they could have children. There'll be many sweet, beautiful decrees that are written on this Rosh Hashanah. And I also guarantee that if you're down in a large enough shul, there'll be a few decrees that aren't so sweet. Some people, businesses are going to go bankrupt. Some people are going to lose their health. And I guarantee that if you're down in a shul that's large enough, there'll be at least one, maybe more, exes. One or more people who will not be with us the next Rosh Hashanah. And that understanding that the verdict is read, but we don't hear it. It's a sided, it's sealed on Yom Kippur, but we're unaware is one of the reasons why it's so difficult for us to daven. Because the judgment doesn't seem real. It seems it's not a big deal. Nothing really happens. And the Peleoids gives us an Eitzah. He says, if you'd like to understand the Yom Adin, don't do what everyone does. Everyone goes about it backwards. <clears throat> they walk into Shul and Rosh Hashanah, and they say, Oy vey, so many things this coming year I have to worry about. <clears throat> Earning a living and doing well in school, and I'm involved in this issue, that issue. And they start dominating to Hashem and start asking Hashem for all of the things they need. And <clears throat> says, <clears throat> you got it. you're going about it backwards. What you should do <clears throat> is review your past year. Think about all those strange things that happened during this past year. You happen to met a guy and he suggested this and you tried it and something really changed in your life. And you happen to have been here and something happened. Think of all those strange coincidences, all those unusual things that when they happened you said, wow, that's a Yan Hashem, that's a Shkacha. And then realize that every one of them was written on the previous Rosh Hashanah. You see, if you think about your past year and you realize that all of those strange things that occurred and all those strange things that happened were written on the previous Rosh Hashanah, then you'll get it. You'll see the din. Hashem decided this and Hashem decided that. Hashem decided this should happen. Hashem decided that should happen. And then you begin to understand the din. And I have a little Eitzah. If you'd like to change your Rosh Hashanah dominating, you should walk into shul with two index cards. On one index card should be all the things you need in the coming year. On the other index card should be written all the strange things that happened to you this past year. Review your year. Take time to think about this happening and that happening, that one saying this. Think about those strange, life-changing, big or small issues, and walk into shoe with both cards in your hand. And look at the card of the things that happened this past year and say to yourself, I get it. Every one of these was deemed, measured, and decided on the previous Rosh Hashanah, and then go to your other index card and say, I get it. Every one of these is being decided now. And when you do that, you have a vastly different understanding of what's going on. I was a high school Rebbe for many years in Rochester. My parents, Salam Shalom, used to live in Kugan Hills. And certainly when the kids were little, we often made the trek back and forth. And I remember when my daughter was about three years old, <clears throat> we used to play this game. I used to strap her into the car seat in the back, and I would say, okay, who wants to drive? Should I drive? You drive? Oh, I'll drive. Alba, you drive. Okay, fine. It was one winter's day. We left New York City. It was about five o'clock. I strapped my daughter in, my wife next to me. We got on the highway, and we hit 81 North. <clears throat> it started snowing. Now, 81 North is a two-lane truck highway. There's no shoulder to that road. But it didn't just start snowing. Sheets and sheets started coming down. I couldn't see 10 feet in front of me. But here was a problem. I couldn't pull over because there's no shoulder to the road. I couldn't even see anything. On the other hand, I couldn't continue. So what I did was the only thing I could do. I took my foot off the gas and just sort of hopefully going to slow down a little bit. And as I was doing it, somehow the car started skidding and I went into a spin. And the car, entire car spins around once and then it spins around the second time. And as it's spinning the second time, I see it. I'm going this way, and an 18-wheeler is coming this way, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. The car is heading right into the path of a tractor-trailer, and I'm toast. And somehow it is that the car veered too sharp, the tractor-trailer passed, and we ended up in the embankment. I had just lived through the most terrifying moment of my life. And then I look back at my three-year-old, and she was sound asleep in the car seat. The only thing missing from the scene was for her to wake up and say, Abba, do you want me to drive? My friends, we go to shul on Rosh Hashanah, and I'm afraid to say it, we're a little bit like that child in the car seat, sound asleep. 
the future of my life, the future of my family, the future of my community is being decided, and I have a powerful tool called tefillah, I could beg Hashem, I could ask Hashem, and I could change the din. And if you're not altruistic enough to worry about other people, how about you? Would you like to succeed in learning? Would you like to make it? Are you interested in getting married? I'll get married, I'll marry the right person at the right time, right? Yeah, right, hopefully. But I'll tell you one thing. If you knew and understood that every issue of your life is being decided, and you understood the power of tefillah, and you understood that we're like that kid in the car seat sound asleep, hopefully at some point you wake up and say, Hashem, I get it. Hashem, I understand. And I have to say this only because I once was an MTA. And I don't know if you appreciate this, but MTA, the MTA, I don't know if it still is, but it's in that building with the, the gates around it, with the bar spikes. There was a Rebbe who used to say this, I'll throw you out the window right onto the spike, Schaefer! Okay. <clears throat> That's not the story I want to share with you. It's the story of Moishi, <clears throat> fourth grader. Moishi is a little bit rambunctious. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> the Rebbe says to Moishi, Moishi, please be quiet. Moshe keeps talking. And the Rebbe says, please be quiet. And Moshe keeps talking. Please be quiet. Keeps talking. Moshe, please be quiet. Moshe, 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 Moshe. Finally, the Rebbe picks him up, holds him out the window and says, Moshe, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to throw you out the window. Rebbe, you don't have to holler. Do you want me to be quiet? Speak like a man. You don't have to scream. <clears throat> Every once in a while, I get the sense that Hashem is trying to send us messages. And we don't get it. Our ears are stuffed. And Hashem wants us to take a certain path, and He sends us a messenger, and we don't get it. So Hashem sends a stronger message, and we still don't get it. And then Hashem gives us a little bit of a clap, and we still don't get it. And then the patch gets harder, and harder, and harder, and then eventually you find yourself in serious trouble. And you turn to Hashem and say, Hashem, what's the deal? What do you want from me? If you want me to know something, just speak to me. Never could be Hashem sitting like that. Rebbe, you said, I told you, I told you, I tried. Why didn't you listen? My friends, <clears throat> there are many, many people who end up in places that they never dreamt of, never should have been, <clears throat> and wonder how they got there. And one of the things that you should do on Rosh Hashanah is take stock, understand, <clears throat> listen to the messages, <clears throat> understand that Hashem wants our growth, Hashem wants us to improve. Hashem wants our success, and more than anything, you turn to Hashem and you ask Hashem, please help. Never in the course of history has there been a generation that we have wealth and abundance. All of you guys are able to learn. This is an astonishing reality. If you were in Europe 100 years ago, you would not be in a base medrash learning. You'd be out working by the time you were 13 years of age. The ability of a person to grow in our generation is unprecedented. There are yeshivas, there are programs, you could steig, you could hit the heights. And zel umazeh, there has to be a balance. And to allow for balance, there has never been a generation where taiva, desire, strange things are so out there and so normalized that you almost think they're normal. And mayasa ben v'loyechta. If you'd like to know one of the things that you should beg, beseech, implore Hashem on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, Hashem, please help me. I want to continue growing. I want to steig. But it's a very difficult generation. There are a lot of things out there that I don't want to see, don't want to be exposed to, but they're right there. Please protect me. Because I don't think I can do it myself. And if you think you can do it yourself, you're fooling yourself. This Chazal shares with us a tremendous concept. <clears throat> the Malachi Asharis, the highest level of Malachim, said to Hashem, there's something missing from the tefillah. <clears throat> Why aren't the Klanshal dancing in the aisles? Why aren't they singing Hallel? <clears throat> Why did the Malachim say that? Because that's the days of Rosh Hashanah. <clears throat> Those are the days of Sarah Shemei That's what Yom Kippur is. A day that a Jew could experience Hashem. A day that a Jew could look at the world and finally get it. I understand. I'm immortal. There's a plan. There's a purpose. And a person should experience such joy, such jubilation. He should want to sing out Shira, Sheva Chodot, his creator. But Hashem answers the Malachim, it has to be tempered. There's an Amos Adin. The end of the day, globally, it's magnificent, it's stupendous. 
But for you personally, it's a very frightening day. Who you are, who you'll be, your entire future and your family, your community and mankind is being decided. Is it difficult for us to dominate our day and age? Yes, because we have so much. But if you think about the strange things that happen to other people, you'll quickly realize there are no guarantees. And then you'll think of all of the issues of your life and you realize that every one of them is an open question. And then you'll take Peleoitz's advice and you'll think back about those strange things that happened during this year and you'll say to yourself, I get it, every one of them was written on the previous Rosh Hashanah. And you'll come into shul with two index cards and you'll dominate a very different dominating. I want to close with one last thought. This is a story that I'm very fond of. It happened to a very good friend of mine. Every detail that I'm going to share with you is exactly as it happened, except for one. He asked me not to use his name. And so other than his name, it happened as I'm going to tell you. Chaim Goldstein was living in Kew Gardens. His brother-in-law was living in Forest Hills. And the plan was that both families were going to spend that Shabbos at Chaim's house. Chaim's wife was cooking late Thursday night. She's almost finished cooking. And her sister calls up and says, you know, my husband came home late from work. He's tired. We decided we're not coming to you for Shabbos. Chaim's wife said, what do you mean? Come on, I cook Shabbos already. Do come, don't come. Back and forth, debating, debating. Finally, Chaim's wife says, listen, I prepared Shabbos already anyway. Let's do this. I'll pack up all the food. And instead of everybody being by my house, we'll all be by your house. So that's what they decided. Both families ended up at the brother-in-law. Chaim was a big masmid. He was in Kola at the time. And he described that when he walked into the apartment, he saw on the coffee table a book called Who by Fire. If you haven't read this book, it's a book that's well worth reading. It's the story of a young woman living in Yerushalayim. She's in her apartment, and suddenly the apartment bursts into flame. She runs out and finds herself safely in the hallway. And in the hallway, she realizes that her kids are still in the apartment. She runs in, grabs one kid, runs in, grabs a second kid, runs in, grabs a third kid. When it's done, she saved all the children, but she also suffered burns on 85% of her body, who by fire, it's a harrowing read of what it means to be burnt alive. It's also a powerful story of a woman's emuna and a bitachon. In any case, the book is on the coffee table. Chaim normally on Shabbos would be chazring and be learning. He certainly wouldn't be reading that kind of book. He says he was mesmerized. He couldn't explain it, but he couldn't put the book down. He read it cover to cover. Shabbos afternoon, Mimcha time, he goes into the yeshiva, he walks to yeshiva, walks into the base medrash, and as he walks into the base medrash, he goes to take a sitter, and he notices that everyone is looking at him. My suit, my tie, they're looking at me. He doesn't think much about it, down to he takes three steps back, he looks up, and again, he notices that everyone is looking at him. Doesn't know what's going on. He goes over to a friend of his after Dominic, he says, why are you looking at me? His friend said, you didn't hear? No, hear what? His friend says, well, I'm sorry I'm going to tell you this, but last night your house burned down. The three-family house, 2 a.m., the furnace burst into flame, the entire apartment, and everyone in it was badly, badly burnt. Chaim, his wife, his kids weren't there. But you see, the pivotal moment of Chaim's life was not that conversation Thursday night, come to my apartment, go to your house, uh-uh. The pivotal moment in Chaim's life was the previous Rosh Hashanah. It's not just whether you live or die, the exactitude, this precision, the manner in which it will happen. And Chaim was being shown, read the book. The previous Rosh Hashanah, there was a diyun, there was a judgment. This was the issue, understand it, read it, feel it, recognize it, for whatever which reason, you, your family was saved, but also understand that that was the question. My friends, the next time you say the words Melech, Ozer, Umoshia, Umogen, Ishmanesre, think about what those words mean. The Gross says what they mean is something very specific. Melech, Ozer means Hashem who helps me. That means it kind of looks like me, but Hashem is kind of with me. Yeah, Hashem, me and Hashem together. Mostly me, but Hashem helps. Moshia is when I'm in the pit and I can't get out. And I call out to my Creator and say, Hashem, help. I begin getting it. That's not mugging. You know what mugging means? <clears throat> mugging means is a couple of years ago I was running. And when I run, I'm very, very focused. Usually I'm working on a schmooze to tell you the truth. But I'm really in my own world. 
And as I'm running in the streets of Muncie, it's dark. And suddenly, for no reason, a car comes way too close to me, splashes me, and literally breaks my stride. There was no reason for him to come that close, nobody to hit that puddle, but he splashed me, and instead of running, I stopped, and I picked back up my stride. And then when I put my foot in the curb on the next street, as I put my foot down, the car wished, another car went wishing by. And that's when I did the math. What if that first car didn't somehow come too close and splash me? My stride would have been broken. I would have been one second faster. That other car and I would have met in a very ugly way. But for some reason, this first car came too close, splashed me, and my stride was broken. So when I ended up on the curb, that other car that was coming this way happened to push by me a second early because I wasn't there. Mugging means when I don't even see Hashem protecting me. There are so many issues that are going to happen during the course of the year. Knowing that Hashem is there, Hashem is my mugging, Hashem is my shield. Understanding that we're a little bit like that kid in the car seat, sound asleep. But understanding that Hashem is the shofate. There are many things to daven for. A Jew should walk in with joy and jubilation. Also an Amos Adin. I wish you all a good, revenge, successful year. And I do want to mention one thing that I last mentioned. This is a schmooze. All the schmoozes are available on the schmooze.com. Don't go on the internet. If you do, you go to the schmooze.com. You have to remember to spell funny. T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. It's Yeshivish way of spelling schmooze. Um, all the schmooze are available. You can download the podcast all free. Do not get a smartphone. It's not smart. It's dumb. If you do have a smartphone, you get the schmooze app for the Android or for the uh, iPhone. Again, it's spelled funny, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z, the schmooze. And again, you can download podcasts, all the schmooze, and we'll actually on the app right there. I wish you much chutzlacham. You've been listening to Rosh Hashanah, Issues of the Day, Part 1 of The Lost Art of Teshuva. This, as well as hundreds of other schmooze audio, video, and articles are available on theschmooze.com or on the Schmooze app, available for iPhone or Android. That's www.theshmuz.com, or by phone at Kol HaLashon, 718-906-6461.